You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of ArrowheadPride.com, Pete Sweeney, hanging out with my esteemed Deputy Editor, John Dixon. John, it seems like the days are slow, but the time went fast. Here we are. It's the first Editor Show, the last Editor Show, before week one as the Chiefs welcome in the Cleveland Browns to begin this 2021 NFL season. It's very exciting, uh, and I'm looking forward to this game. It ought to be a really good one, uh, no matter how it comes out. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm expecting the Chiefs to win this at home, mm-hmm. but uh, but uh, it's it's going to be a great football game, I think. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this is typically the week one game, one of the games that is the most broken down because we've been waiting months and months for sure. it. And so this yeah. is the divisional round rematch. The last time these two teams were on the field, it was Chad Henney. That was the hero that willed the Chiefs to victory as Patrick Mahomes had to come out. Seemed like he was in the concussion protocol, mixed reports on what exactly happened. But the Chiefs were victorious, and this has ticked the Browns off. And so this is a little bit of a grudge match, rematch game. The Browns want to come back and, in in a way, get revenge and start their season on the right foot. 3.25 p.m., Arrowhead time on Sunday at GEH Field at Arrowhead Stadium. <laughs> oh, never going to get used to that. Before we get into the news, want to tell you, if you love the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, if you like the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, please always rate and review us if you can on Apple iTunes. Everything helps. John, we're going to give you the floor for the first news item today, and that's the FPI at ESPN. If you can explain what that is, it treated the Chiefs very well heading into the upcoming season. Well, this is just a, a calculation that ESPN has created to uh, essentially do a, a power ranking of NFL teams. And uh, every year they they uh, release the information preseason. In preseason, it's based on the quarterbacks and what changes the teams have made in the offseason. Uh, it's kind of a guesstimate. But they rank the Chiefs uh, higher than any other team in the NFL with their, their base number. Uh, they were first in offense, 11th in defense, uh, just about average in special teams. I think it was 17th, ranked 17th in the league. And uh, with those numbers, then they run a, uh, a simulation of the whole season, all the games that will be played, and uh, you know, make guesses of what the scores will be in those games, who will win them, who will lose them, and then uh, calculate what the season will look like. And the Chiefs uh, finished the season with an 11.5 to fi- and 5.5 record. In other words, you know, 12 and five or 11 and six, something like that. Uh, and the best opportunity to win the Super Bowl, about a one in five chance uh, to win the Super Bowl, about a one in three chance to make the Super Bowl. Interestingly, a 50-50 chance to advance to their, uh, what would be the fourth consecutive conference championship game, which would be would be quite an honor in and of itself. Um, so it's, uh, it's quite a deal. They're looking really good in the eyes of the national media, particularly in the eyes of ESPN and this sort of, um, you know, thrown together preseason ranking as the season progresses and teams, you know, get win and one and loss records and their statistics to throw in there, that'll get more accurate. But that's what it looks like to them right at this point. What I find really interesting about this whole thing is the fact that the Chiefs, despite looking as they did in the Super Bowl, are one in a lot of these rankings when it mm-hmm. comes to the analytics FPI, because typically you'll see the Super Bowl champion, which would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, hold on to the number one in a lot of these items. And that is an extension also to Las Vegas. Sports betting Mm. dime an hour ago 
put out the Super Bowl 56 odds, the Chiefs are still the favorites here. And so you have analytics, and I think you have Vegas buying into what the Chiefs were able to do in that rebuilt offensive line. If you're familiar with betting, I'll give you the top five. The Chiefs are plus 500. The Bucks are next at plus 650. Big drop-off goes Buffalo mm-hmm. Bills plus 1,200, Packers plus 1,200, then Ravens and 49ers are plus 1,400. And so this is one of these interesting scenarios where at least at the beginning of the year with the information that we have, we may be looking at the first Super Bowl rematch in 28 years. And Travis Kelsey earlier in the offseason had been talking about and, and really candid with ESPN and saying, we want to see the Bucks again. And it's one of these years where they do clearly look like the, the best teams. You know, you talk about the big drop off from the Chiefs and the rest of the AFC. I feel a little bit like that when I look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, especially when you think about the second year that Tom Brady has with the offense. I think they were pretty honest last year with Bruce Arians saying, yeah, maybe Tom Brady will know the offense next spring. Played a lot better in the playoffs with the regular season uh, under him. But I, I think the offense is going to be better. They brought all of, all of their defensive starters to be back. I it, It's hard for me, other than injury, right, to wrap my head around these two teams not meeting in a rematch in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's a fair point. I think it's reasonable, uh, but I don't go that far. I, I okay. think, the, I think the Buccaneers were extremely lucky last year. They were <laughs> after all, they were off after all a wild card team and wild That's card true. teams, uh, you know, tend to do very well. If once only, they get, if only Taylor Heineke, of yeah. the Washington football team finished the job. Maybe we were talking <laughs> about a potential three-peat here. Right, right. And I, and I think that, uh, and that's something that we need to keep in mind, is that they came at it as uh, as underdogs into the postseason. And uh, they played extremely well. I'm not going to take anything away from that. And I and obviously Tom Brady is an incredible quarterback uh, who was playing at his very best in the postseason last year. But I think that um, I'm not quite sure they're right in the Chiefs league, um, you know, every day of the week. Uh, that particular day, that particular Sunday in February, they were the better team. Uh, no question about that. But uh, I'm not sure they're that that they're that team every Sunday. And so I think we'll learn quite a bit about uh, what the Buccaneers really were in 2020 uh, once this season gets underway. I think that's fair. I, I really do. And I'm wondering when they have their first loss. I, I think it should be a fun season in that. Sure. You know, you have your AFC rivalries and you have all these AFC teams gunning for the Chiefs in what I would consider the Browns, the Bills, the Ravens. I put the Chargers in that mix. Um, and the NFC, you also have the same thing. But this is a year where I, I just look at it as I, I think a lot of people are going to feel and I feel this way. Like I said, the Chiefs and Bucks are destined. So it's one of those odd years where I think you're checking up on an NFC team. And just I believe that there will be a lot of Bucks fans that are checking up on and seeing how the Chiefs do and just seeing if they can both get back to what would be a rematch. You typically can only get these things in boxing because there, <laughs> it's just two people, right? So many things have to break the way to get this rematch. And the rest of the NFL fan base is are not going to want to see it. That's going to get boring after a while. And I think the hate for the Bucks, as long as Tom Brady wants to go and the Chiefs for the next 10 to 15 years is only going to continue. I, I said this on the national podcast on Monday. It's going to be boring, but I, I just think they're by and far right now the best teams in the NFL. So as you said, you're right. Let's see if the Bucks can can repeat. They are trying the run it back thing, although Bruce Arians doesn't want to call it that. Whatever, Bruce. Uh, <laughs> just get back to the Super Bowl or whatever he said at the parade. Uh, but they are returning a lot of their starters. Uh, so they're, in a sense, I think, trying to pull off what the Chiefs weren't able to pull off and, and really just barely missed pulling it off. It were, hadn't been for injuries. Who knows? Um, but what it would be their own type of run it back uh, tour. All well, right. you know, I, I think you can argue that it was a mistake for the Chiefs to do that, that if you're not moving forward, you're standing still. You know, you sure. can make that argument. But I also think it's very hard for a franchise that hasn't been a contender year in and year out, like the Patriots, for example. I think it's really hard for a franchise to win a Super Bowl and not try and run it back. And I think that's part of what was going on with the Chiefs. It's like, okay, we've made this happen. Let's try and make it happen again. And I I think that's happened with Tampa Bay as well. I don't remember exactly what day it was or what interview it was, but that 
interview with Andy Reid where he was completely honest in saying, and we haven't mm-hmm. done enough on the offensive line. It mm-hmm. really stood out, and I think it stands out, and this will actually lead us right into what we're going to talk about next, which is the first unofficial, quote-unquote, depth chart of 2021, where you look at the offensive line, and now it's set in stone. I know it's unofficial, and we always say that this isn't necessarily made by the team, but the team, I know for a fact, has to sign off on this. So they're, they, they're buying into you know, the obvious things. And there you have it. It's Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, Lucas Niang, three rookies uh, along the line. But what stands out is when you go to the next part of the lineup where it's Allegretti, Remmers, Lythe, LDT, and Wiley, that backup offensive line is probably better than you had in the Super Bowl, the backup mm-hmm. five guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I had said that all along, um, that I felt that way. And I think now you're built for the long haul, whereas – there was just quite the fall off last year because you didn't necessarily have the depth here. And I think this year, if a Trey Smith has to win a game, man, you got LDT who started for mm-hmm. five years for you. And then the Super Bowl that you won, Andrew mm-hmm. Wiley, he, he was able to manage that right tackle position when the Chiefs went down to New Orleans and was probably the toughest game of the year where the Saints were calling it a bat game. Uh, Clyde is injured. And you're victorious. And so that's my first point about the unofficial depth chart. A, it locks in the rookies. And B, you just take a look at the backup offensive linemen. You're in a way better spot than you were in the playoffs in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I completely agree. And and I think that's uh, one of the things that's interesting about uh, the evaluations people are making of the Chiefs is that they're making this decision that the Chiefs have improved their offensive line with three rookies on it. Um, you know, even national commentators are doing that. Um, although you'll occasionally run across one that doesn't seem to have understood what the Chiefs did in the offseason and, and think this is a line that still needs to be proved. And, and to a large extent, it does. You know, it's not the same to be in preseason as it is in the regular season. So there's a lot that we still have to see. But, um, you know, it is and, well thought of at this uh, point. A point I want to make here, too. And this will be the last thing about the offensive line is hot offensive line talk. Hopefully once the Browns Chiefs game happens and the offensive line is fixed, we can finally move on to more exciting things. <laughs> but it's not only 10 deep, it's 12 deep or even 13 deep because you have Prince Teguinogo and Daryl Williams who are up and coming players on the practice squad where if someone goes down and mm-hmm. it's it's, you know, that trickle down effect where backup moves up, you call up one of these guys. I think they're, they're pretty up and coming guys. And you have Kyle Long coming back for week seven. Uh, at a certain point, and he provides you uh, depth. They they really liked Long in the offseason, didn't end up working out because of the injury and the PUP list. So now we'll wait and see. But So you're not only 10 deep, you're, you're 13 deep in a sense. All right, uh, I, I looked at the rest of the unofficial depth chart, and I'll make a few points, John, and I'll give you an opportunity to say anything if you, if you want. I don't think it was anything really new that we took away from the unofficial depth chart, but what it, it – it did for us is it just confirmed some surprises that maybe we didn't think were going to be happening a month ago. For example, case in point here, uh, Doris Fountain simply being on the team instead of Cornell Powell. Right. I don't care. I know the Chiefs Kingdom extends to St. Louis and Nebraska and all of the Midwest now. <laughs> there is not one person in the quote unquote Chiefs Kingdom that really ever could have predicted Doris Fountain over Cornell Powell. No, I mean, I wouldn't have. I don't think either one of us would have. Um, and, um, uh, it, it's an amazing story, frankly, that this guy who really couldn't, uh, make it happen on another team finds a, a role with the chiefs, but you know, that's sometimes how it works because, uh, you know, when you get to a different team, um, you know, you might be a better fit for it and, uh, you might have a better opportunity to be effective with that new team. So it's not exactly an unknown story. Uh, we see these kinds of things all the time. It'd be great. Uh, if this is the moment where uh, Fountain finds his niche and can be an effective player. But certainly it's a surprise. Our staff writer, one of our new and very talented staff writers, did the postgame show last week with Steven Serta in line into the postgame show this week uh, with Serta again after the week one game. Rocky Magana is breaking the Arrowhead Pride ticker this morning. Arrowhead lines, oh, I'll pull the curtain back, is first. <laughs> Uh, with NFL.com disrespecting the Chiefs a little bit on the triplet, the triplet sure. conversation. Yeah. Next up, Darius Fountain is most likely to become this year's Justin Jefferson. I saw this in our ticker. The way that it works is these writers will submit John and I the articles. 
touch them up, edit them, bada bing, bada boom. That's how editing works. Throw them up on the website. I said, I cannot believe I'm going to run this. But here we are. Uh, We've had a lot of people just tweeting back at the Arrowhead Pride Twitter account, not reading the article. Uh, This is such a a Homer thing. But what it came out of, and I'm sure Rocky will explain this on Twitter, and Ron Koppel will touch upon it maybe on the next AP Out of Structure after the game next Monday, is that there was some kind of dare exchanged about Justin Jefferson. Therese Fountain isn't even a rookie. That's the, that's the, that's the crazy right, thing about it. Right. Justin Jefferson was a rookie. Therese Fountain has had six games. He He's a third-year player that it seems like he's finally coming into his own. But what you can read on ArrowheadPride.com is these guys have a similar uh, physical stature. I just don't know if he'll get the opportunity, at least right away. It might take an, an injury for Defoe to really get a look in what I <clears throat> I tend to think the – position um replacing sammy watkins which falls probably under like the pringle or robinson i think mccall hardman will have an elevated role but it won't be in the exact way that the mm-hmm. chiefs use sammy yeah. watkins i thought that was a grand misconception but good to have some depth here and i don't think it's going to be justin jefferson's like 12 to 1400 yards but would i be stunned if defoe a right set of circumstances he ends up with 700 ish 750 mm-hmm. if, if things break his way no, because he looked that good in the preseason. Uh, I, 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 I'd like to see w- what he ends up with, uh, and if he can push. Like we saw him push a draft pick, which Spread Feature has never done, out of mm-hmm. the lineup. Now can he challenge what would be the Pringle and the Robinson to get more playing time with the offense? I think there's a chance of that because he wouldn't be on the roster otherwise. Right. Um, obviously, the Chiefs see something in him. And uh, and maybe it's just a question of him finding the right place. Uh, and, and that'd be awesome uh, for us to get that kind of a production out of a player like that. Of course, it's a crowded room and it's going to be hard for any one of these receivers to get more than uh, five or six hundred yards. So uh, and, and I think you're also making a good point about Sammy Watkins. We spent the whole offseason talking about replacing Sammy Watkins with, you know, the true X receiver, so on and so forth. But, you know, the best NFL coaches tailor their approaches to the players that are available to them. Right. And I think that we'll probably see some of that this year. Uh, maybe that's why we've got four tight ends on the roster is that Reed has realized it may be difficult to find uh, someone as good as Tyreek Hill on the other side as a wide receiver. So let's, uh, let's do something different with the tight ends. And this is the, this is the way Andy Reed thinks, you know, this, this is, is Push and pull, you know, this is a little inside baseball and a little bit how sausage is, is made type thing. But I think we're running into an article because you have Tyree Kill. Let's conservatively say 1250 for the yardage. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. have Travis Kelsey. Let's conservatively conservatively say 1250 for the yardage. So that's mm-hmm. twenty five hundred. Yeah. Let's give Clyde Edwards Lair five hundred receiving yards. Right. Mm-hmm. I, put Patrick Mahomes at five thousand yards. He has the extra game. So you're only left with two thousand yards. How are those two thousand yards right. split up? Amongst mm-hmm. the rest of the team, do you have room for another thousand from McColl? Then you're only left with a thousand for Noah Gray, Demarcus Riley. Like, where where mm-hmm. do these numbers for individually come from? Especially considering we're being conservative with Hill and Kelsey at twelve fifty, which is crazy to say. But we well, are. Didn't, didn't Demarcus Robinson have like almost four hundred yards last year? Six hundred, right? Six hundred yeah, yeah. for two years yeah. in a row. Yeah, yeah. And and this is a guy that people don't even think about. Is he's like an afterthought for most right. fans, you know? So. Um, I think the idea that there could be, uh, you know, another receiver to get that. The point stands, though, that there's going to be a lot of guys competing for a relatively small number of yards. And maybe that's why uh, Reed has adopted this strategy to bring in some more tight ends and and do something different, trying to get it all out of the the wide receivers. All right. Moving on with the unofficial depth chart. I already talked about the fact that three rookies are on the offensive line. That's been a topic of conversation for a while now. I I think finishing up with the offense, the fact that Jody Fortson and Jarek McKinnon are simply on the roster is a little bit of, of a surprise. Fortson, I think, will have a role on this team, and we'll see if it grows as the year goes on. But that four tight end thing, I think you're going to see it once or twice a game. I really do. I think that's a package that Andy Reid is not going to be able to help himself with. He's going to call, back, <laughs> call back Tyree Kill and say, listen, you take the leader here. I'll give you a little, a little room to breathe. Uh, and then Jarek McKinnon, I think, will have a role in this team as well, uh, yeah. e- even though he projects similar to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. You know, later in the game, 
Clyde might be a little tired. You throw Jarek McKinnon out there, fresh legs. And truly, uh, I mean, I, he's trying to kind of just been waiting in the wings with that injury situation that he's had in his career for a while now to get an opportunity to be productive. I, I think you'll see McKinnon maybe more than you realize. You know, I've always found it interesting that uh, coaches and analysts, pundits, writers, all kinds of observers, fans even, uh, will talk about, oh, well, we've got four running backs and they each bring a different kind of style to the game. And isn't that great? And I've often wondered, why is that great? You know, if you've got a good running back who fits in your offense, wouldn't you want to have another running back who also fits in your offense the same way? to be his backup. And that's one thing that I think we can think about, about McKinnon, because I think he's going to be more of an, an Edwards Alaire style of player than we have previously had. I I think it's fine to have a change of pace back for third down, you know, a guy who is a bruiser more than a guy who's going to go dancing through the line and pick up 12 yards on first down. I think it's fine to have a third down back who's better suited for that kind of a short yardage situation, but I'm just not really necessarily buying into the idea that it's an advantage to have four different kinds of running backs on a football team. I'm, I'm not sure how that logic works. And I think it's, it's the, always bugged me. So the one point I have on this, and then we can move on to the defensive side. I just am happy for Daryl Williams that yeah, there aren't any of these, NFL name slash bums <laughs> in camp anymore, stealing some of his reps. I think he's worked for a long time to really get the number two third down back carries. No LaShawn McCoy, no Le'Veon Bell, who, by the way, just got his first tryout as of yesterday with the Baltimore Ravens. And it took two significant injuries, uh, one to J.K. Dobbins and another to Justice Hill to even bring Le'Veon Bell in. So c- case in point, Maybe don't mess with the head coach who's got a fourth of the league under his tree. Now, Harbaugh is included in that, so uh, maybe that is a little bit overblown in itself. I, I do want to say that almost as a devil's advocate, but yeah, Le'Veon Bell has not been able to find really any tryouts. And even look at like L- L.A. with the Rams. Uh, I'm stunned that they didn't bring him in just to see, but we'll see if he catches on with the Ravens as of this recording. Uh, we are, what, at Tuesday morning, he has not signed uh, as of yet, but again, tried out with them on Monday. Well, he didn't exactly set the league on fire after no. he left the Steelers. I mean, you know, if he goes to the Jets and doesn't do well, people are going to say, well, the Jets are a, a crappy team. You know, what Well, the expect? Adam Gase Jets, right? Yeah, right, now, right, right. He, he might be great going to the Jets now, but that's too late with yeah. that organization. But, yeah. uh, but then to come to the Chiefs and not be able to be any kind of a contributor, that's not going to reflect well on your resume. So no. I, I feel bad for the guy. He certainly uh, fit. It, it, talk about a niche player. He fit in perfectly with the Steelers during his years there that he was playing and he, and and was a hugely productive player. But uh, since then, he just really hasn't shown much of anything. All right. Moving on to the defensive side again, things we knew, but it confirms surprises in a sense that we had during the offseason. Chris Jones listed as defensive end. I don't think we need to go in too deep here. We've talked quite a bit about this, but just to see it on the paper heading into the week <laughs> one game, it's it, to me, it's significant. It's primary position. Uh, first and second downs has now been changed and uh, eager to see what that means as far as sack production, because I, I think it, I, I, well, that's one gonna, going to be my bold prediction to pull the curtain back even further uh, when we put up our bold predictions for the season. I think Chris Jones is going to break the sack record. I understand that that is bold. He's got the extra game. I really think this is going to lead to more production when it comes to stacks and pressures and whatnot. Uh, so Chris Jones locked in at defensive end. Yeah, bold with a capital B there, buddy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. What's older, pick, picking the Chiefs to go undefeated two years ago or, or breaking the sack record? <laughs> I think, I actually think it's the undefeated pick. I, I really, it, Chris Jones yeah. looked like a force this preseason. In he really looks. Yeah, he really did. And I think that it's going to the way it's going to be interpreted outside of Kansas City, those of us who haven't paid close attention to the Chiefs uh, as, as close attention as we do um, are going to look at this as Chris Jones being moved to defensive end. Right. And what is really going to happen, I'm, I'm convinced of this, that what's really going to happen is that he's just going to be on the field as a defensive end more often than he has been in the past. What is it, 30% of the snaps last year he was lined up on the outside? 
so now maybe it's going to be 50-50, and the defenses are literally going to have no idea where he's going to be coming from on an individual play. I, I think, think that does two things. I think it makes it possible for him to be a very productive player, and I also think it makes it possible for other people to be very productive players. So yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think. And, I, and the Chiefs, too, they have not really invested premium picks. This is always a topic yeah. as well in the secondary, mm -hmm. but building up that defensive line makes me feel far better about Ben Neiman, for example, who now has to sure. play because of Willie Gay or having a younger secondary where you're throwing in Trevarius Ward. Who's, you know, he's an average player. And that's, that's good enough. If your defensive line is above average. Right, right. Absolutely. And I, and I think that that might be part of what the chiefs are going for here is again, using the players that they have in right. the most effective way. And uh, that's always the hallmark of a great coaching staff is that if they're able to do that, that was always Don Shula's thing. That's why he remains, to my mind, the greatest football coach of all time, uh, because he always uh, tailored his approach to the game based on the players that he had. And it's not always under your control. You know, you don't control everything that happens in the draft. You don't control what players are available to you as undrafted free agents. Uh, you can't always afford to get the players you want. So you, on some level, have to get by with players that come to you in a way that you don't really expect. So to be successful, you've got to figure out a way to use those specific players, the cards that you are dealt. And uh, Shula was always amazing at that. And and I'm I'm impressed to see the Chiefs doing this with Chris Jones. Moving on defensively, and we've talked about the unofficial depth chart quite a bit, but I want to wrap it up with the secondary. I thought it confirmed a surprise in the sense that Mike Hughes earned a starting spot in the nickel beating out DeAndre Baker. You asked me at the beginning of training camp, I'm probably leaning Baker. Wonder yeah. how much of the femur recovery. I know that we heard it was a clean break and he was going to be fine, but maybe still coming along a little bit with the injury, not able to beat out Mike Hughes. I think Baker will will have a role on this team. It just is not necessarily going to be as the starter to begin mm -hmm. the season. Yeah. And then Juan Thornhill, not really reclaiming his starting gig back in the base, but as we'll get to in the next segment when we re review what Andy Reid said and, and break that down, might not matter. Might be on the field anyway if Tyron Matthew can't have two negative COVID tests. So. Right, yeah. That, that's, that's another thing altogether. Yeah, it's frustrating. But, but Juan Thornhill, it seems they've used the preseason to try to get the legs back under him a bit. I think he is still going to be used in a reserve role at the beginning of the season until he, he can't be. Like if he makes plays like he did in that preseason game, diving for the interception, and he gets a pick in limited work, then I think he's going to force the Chiefs' hand in a sense in making sure he's on the field a, a lot more than maybe at the beginning uh, of the year. I agree with you. And and I also think that and I also think the Chiefs really like Sorensen for a variety of reasons that he can be used in a lot of different ways on the field. Uh, but yes, I would like to see Thornhill back in a in a more uh, regular role in the defense because he really showed us a lot in that uh, rookie season. I'd like to see that back. Good way to end it and end this segment with divisional Dan who was the standout in the divisional round game against the Cleveland Browns, the rematch coming up on Sunday. When we come back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, we will review Andy Reid's first Monday press conference of the season. Stay with us. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon, the Kansas City Chiefs getting ready to play their first game of the 2021 NFL season, Chiefs and Browns on Sunday at Arrowhead Stadium. With it being game week, it didn't matter that it was Labor Day. Andy Reid had his regular weekly press conference, and the first thing he talked about was Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew was added to the COVID-19 list last week, uh, and as of right now, he has not been uh, able to come off. He's still in the protocol, so we just have to uh, wave that out and see see where he's at. I mean, I'll know more as we go on. I. I knew that was going to be the first question. So that's Andy Reid basically saying at this juncture, he's still in the protocol. We will see if he'll be ready for the game. The reports have seemed to be somewhat positive that Matthew will be able to come off. He may not practice this week, but he might be able to play in the game. He's an, an, one of a, a number of players on this team. Like Patrick Mahomes is included in this. Chris Jones is included in this. Is I'm not really worried about the practice for these guys, but you need them on Sunday. And so that is certainly something to watch uh, as we head into this weekend. 
Yeah, uh, this is this is the worst part of what we've had to endure uh, the last two seasons is this uncertainty about these kinds of things and having so little information about it. It's it's bad. And, you know, to Reed's credit, he's he's not trying to, you know, uh, give us a bunch of sunshine that isn't true. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And um, uh, and I think that uh, it would be wrong for him to try and elevate our hopes when it isn't justified. And so we're going to have to go into this game worried about it. And there's just not much we can do about it except to see how it plays out. Yeah, the folks with regular, you would call regular injuries, not really COVID issues. Running back Clyde Edwards-Alaire had a hamstring issue uh, as the preseason was wrapping up. Daryl Williams was in the concussion protocol. Here's what Andy Reid said on the top two running backs heading into Browns week. Yeah, so they practiced this past week and, and did a nice job with it and <clears throat> looked like they were moving around pretty good. So I, I think we'll be okay there. So by the sounds of that, it seems as though the Chiefs running backs will be 100%. It's not something we need to necessarily worry about going into Browns week. As is the case, once the regular season begins, the Chiefs can say whatever they want at the press conference. We get the official injury report on Wednesday afternoon, which we'll post to arrowheadpride.com to get a better glimpse as to who's getting treatment, what they're dealing with, so on and so forth. Yeah, this is a, in marked contrast to the preseason where you don't get any of that information. Right. <laughs> We're just left with whatever Andy Reid happens to tell us and what he feels like telling us. So at least we get something official now that this, the season is underway. Andy Reid had his first comments about this Cleveland Browns team heading into this game. And you, you can really hear it here. He goes through the position groups in a sense. First, he'll talk about the defense, and then he talks about what they've been able to do offensively. Here's Coach Reid. Yeah, so listen, I mean, they got a heck of a football team, and they uh, they feel like they've made themselves better this offseason. So, and I can understand why. They've added some uh, a few people in the secondary, and they've – Added uh, Clowney up front, and uh, they've just you know they've, the linebacker position is a little different. So, um, and then offensively, they they've got a couple guys back, so they're pretty good football players, and and so they're they're fully loaded, and uh, you know they're good and they're well coached. Kevin's done a nice job with them. So we mentioned Clowney by name. That to me is a significant addition because you're now pairing him with what would be Miles Garrett along the line, similar with Chris Jones now becoming an edge and you have Frank Clark, Jaron Reed really boosting their line. The Browns did that as well. My key matchup isn't clowny necessarily. I'm interested most in Garrett against what will be Lucas Niang. Lucas Niang to me is the one wild card in a sense. He was away from the team all of last year. I know that all the rookies in, in a sense are wild cards, but Niang to me is the most, and this is as talented of, of a player to go up against as you can find week one. Uh, and the Browns also boosted their secondary, so they'll be trying to lock down their receivers, which is way easier said than done. Uh, and then Andy Reid also highlighted uh, some of the guys are getting back and the big elephant in the room that is the NFL superstar is wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. is expected to play on Sunday. So Reid just rounding up all those things. Yeah, and I think it's that's a that's a big one right there. Uh, he's a he's a big part of what well any team that has him would consider him a big part of their offense, right? And uh, uh, so that's that's definitely a big puzzle piece that that wasn't part of the equation last time. So uh, yeah, that's going to be a big one. Seems like the dog pound has a love hate relationship with Odell. I have seen some things from <laughs> afar where they're like, "Are we a better team without Odell Beckham Jr.?" I'd like to think no, although. When I was covering the Alex Smith, Jamal Charles Chiefs, I thought there were some weeks where it almost seemed like extracting Jamal and not having Andy Reid having the pressure to run the football because we would always count up those Jamal Charles touches. Yeah, Sometimes made the Chiefs offense, I don't want to say better, but more fluid because when Odell is on the field, he's just such a talented player where fans will go after the game and see, well, we only threw to Odell Beckham Jr. twice. And it could sometimes throw you off now. What helps is they made the playoffs last year. They were able to get over that hump and wild card weekend and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it seems like Kevin Stefanski really has a good head on his shoulders. He reminds me a little bit of Andy Reid when he's speaking to the media, not really wanting to give them all that much. So the media <laughs> has to like try to figure out and circumvent and, and find ways to get little bites. Um, but yeah, 
I think generally you're a better team when Odell Beckham Jr. is on the field. Like, let's not be crazy about that. Well, absolutely. Yeah. How could you not be? I mean, you know, that'd be like saying the Chiefs aren't as are are fine without Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. No, they're not. Right. You know, these guys are important to the offense, just like OBJ is. Andy Reid also emphasized the importance of Sunday's matchup, despite it being the first game of the year. It is interesting, the phenomenon where it just seems like the games in December matter uh, a bit more than maybe uh, they would in September. And so here was Reed talking about what gets the team up for game number one. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, it's the first game and it's <clears throat> one of 17. So you've um, it's it's as important as the rest of them. It's just it's happening now and it's there's nothing before this, it's gotten you to this point. So there's unknowns. I mean, there's unknowns. If you're on the offensive side of the ball, what's the defense going to do? If you're on the defensive side, what's the offense going to do? What are the new looks on special teams that they're going to throw at you? So there's a little bit more unknown than you would have <clears throat> as you get through the third and fourth game of the season. So you, you've, uh, uh, that's a part I get excited about. Like um, uh, you get your juices going plus you're getting to start the season. I mean, that's always exciting. And here we get to start it at home, which is, which is great against a very good football team. So a lot of unknowns that will get answered on Sunday for the chiefs. And really, I just, I think this is a good point to remember about the NFL in general. Like there's an AFC team we are not talking about yet. And there's an AFC team we are talking about that won't have a good season. And so, you don't really see the identity of these teams. I think it takes about three or four weeks before you really have a good grasp on who's good and who's not. And you get that first clue to that on Sunday and good on Reed to know like this game matters just as much as what would be a week 16 game. If, if you're playing uh, to get a bye week the, they all count the same. And uh, I thought it was just an interesting note from Andy there. I think that's a good reminder. And it's a pet peeve of mine that people, uh, you know, talk about backing into the postseason, you know, uh, in those kinds of situ situations. But these games at the beginning of the season carry just as much weight as those at the end. You know, the only thing that matters is what they do in total. And so Reed is exactly right here. And I think he's wise to 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 make that point, not only to his players, but to the fans. You know, these games all count. And because the season is so short, they are they are magnified in how much they matter. And, uh, you know, this one in particular could be a big piece of home field advantage in the playoffs if the Browns are as good uh, as people think they are. Of course, that is a big if. Uh, you know, there's plenty of people who don't want to buy into the Browns because they've been so bad for so long. I'm not one of those. I think right. they've they've got a lot going for them, including Stefanski. I think you're exactly right. I think he's a great coach, and I think he's a big part of the reason that they've done well. And I, I don't expect that to stop. But, you know, it's a new season. Who knows what's going to happen? And yeah, I, uh, so we'll I see. At, I look at these first couple weeks here. So you go through the first five weeks of the NFL season. For the AFC hard hitters, you're mm -hmm. playing the Browns, the Ravens, and the Bills in the first five weeks, right? So we don't know. It, it's it's basically, I'm going to make up a, a word and a, and, and a concept, <laughs> and it's called swing game potential. We don't know if these games are swing games yet, but they could count for two in a sense, meaning you get the win and you're dealing an opponent, you're lost. So if the Browns or Ravens uh, or or even the Chargers who you play in the, in the first five weeks are among the teams that are vying for what would be a first-round bye, these still are huge critical games and they're only coming when you're going to have a one and oh one and two or one and one two and oh record and they're not going to feel as significant but they right. are extremely significant yeah. when you look at the course of of the season all right uh here's andy reed on the arrowhead stadium crowd speaking of creating a word and a concept let's go to andy reed <laughs> well, listen i mean i'm probably speaking for all of us <clears throat> that <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, after watching this weekend with the with the college games, uh, it was pretty amazing. I mean, it was goosebumpish, right? So you watch that, and you, you know the the people were into it. I, I almost felt like they were kind of let out of a camp somewhere and be able. To, oh man, we've got freedom again here, so that they can go and and uh, go to these games. So uh, it was very exciting. I I look forward to. Uh, 
um, Arrowhead uh, being, um, you know, just as exciting as it's ever been. I mean, and maybe a little bit more. It's, uh, and I know the players feed off of that too. Goose bumpish. Yes. I, you know, it was really the perfect way to put it. Uh, I, I don't disagree. I don't know if you watched the, I know you were trailering this weekend, John, did you watch any of these college football games? Yeah, they were, they were rocking. And yeah. I, I have already said it about the preseason game. I was able to go to the home final preseason game against the Vikings. That place was nuts for a preseason game. Patrick Mahomes even noted it uh, at the postgame press conference, just talking about what the crowd was like. Now you're talking about the regular season. This is going to be a fun, fun day at Arrowhead Stadium on Sunday. Yeah, it's going to be the, the house is going to be rocking. And I'd go ahead and knock if I were in the neighborhood. Yeah. I, I like the way you put that. And if you can get out to the game, I recommend it. I've talked to some friends. I know that if you don't have a ticket yet, the ticket prices are a little bit uh, steep. But shoot, make sure you get out to Arrowhead Stadium at some point in, in the near future. Because I, I just think we are all, as a community, just so uh, ready to do things that are normal this football season. Yeah. After what was last year, even if you were able to make it out to a game last year, only 22% of the crowd, just not the same, especially when you're talking about one of the greater home field advantage, if not the best home field advantage in the National Football League. All right, John. So that's two segments in the book. When we get back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, we'll talk about our questions about the offense and defense heading into this game. Stay with us. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, if you're a fan of the Editor's Show, you would know that at this point in the show, we would be doing our marinated takeaways. But the NFL decided randomly, no, no, we're going to have a buy in between training camp and uh, the preseason and the regular season this year. Uh, so we have no game to react to necessarily. Uh, so we're going to ask some questions that we have about this team. We'll take turns as we've been doing on the Arrowhead pride editor show recently. We're not telling each other anymore. We want to yeah. react live uh, in the flesh. We want to see how we're feeling about each other's takes in the game. And I'll start with this question, John, I, I bet that you have it. What does the offensive line truly look like? We're finally going to get an opportunity to see this line together. Orlando Brown and Joe Tooney have pro games to their names, but they've never played a pro game together. And then you go to the right side of the line from center to right tackle. None of these guys have ever played a professional game, regular season game in their career. And we're finally going to get our first initial glimpse. Is this offensive line truly fixed from last year's Super Bowl? Well, obviously, that's a big question in everybody's mind. Um, and I, and, and we, what we saw in the preseason was good. And we saw, uh, those reps almost entirely against the best starters. The other teams could put on the field. There were some circumstances where, you know, defensive lines weren't at full strength because of injuries or whatever. Um, and so, uh, we had some idea of what they're going to look like, but it's not the same as a real game that counts in the standings, especially a big game that everybody thinks is going to count for a lot in the standings by the time the season comes to an end. So yeah, this is going to be a huge test. And uh, these guys are going to have to show that they're able to uh, work together and play together and be effective as a unit. And that's going to be the biggest thing that everybody's going to have on their minds as they watch the chiefs offense play, I think. 
All right, let's stick with the offense. John, I'll give you an opportunity to ask a question. Well, let's go to something you touched on earlier, which is specifically about Lucas Niang. I think this is a very interesting situation where you have a guy who uh, opted out of his rookie season, comes into his second year as officially still a rookie um, because he's never been on the team's roster. So, uh, you know, officially he's still a rookie, but he's had the benefit of being in the system, uh, you know, going to meetings, uh, learning the offense, et cetera. And, uh, you know, as nearly as we can see, uh, spent a lot of his time during his opt-out year working out, preparing to play tackle on both sides of the line. And the Chiefs have put him out here at right tackle. I think he has a lot to prove as a second-year rookie uh, who chose to opt out of his rookie season. I think that yep. uh, it'll be very interesting to see what he's able to do specifically. I mean, obviously, the the three rookies are a big chunk of it, but I think the the most interesting focus is going to be on Niang. We have these things that we do as we break down football teams at the beginning of years where it just always seems like the veterans are the ones with pressure on them. Well, no, mm-hmm. no. Now Lucas Niang is in the spot. And Mike mm-hmm. Remmers, at right tackle, was pretty good for the Chiefs last year. Yeah. So Niang is going to have to deal with that a little bit. If he falters early, I would say that Andy Reid is not going to be afraid to have what would be a hook there. Now, I I think he'll Mm -hmm. get at least two, three games, right? Yeah. If it gets to a point where it is a liability, we don't know. We have to see him play, right? Yeah. Andy Reid's not afraid to make the change. We saw Andy Reid go with Daniel Kilgore a little bit randomly last year, Mm -hmm. replacing Austin Ryder just to see. And so... Not a coach that's afraid to change on the fly, and I think that pressure is on Lucas Niang. And before we get into the next offensive question that I have, I do want to say that this offensive line versus the Browns' defensive line is the number one key to the game. I'd mentioned it a little bit before with Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. If the Chiefs can set the tone early and give Patrick Mahomes protection early, then all of a sudden I think you're going to blink, and this game may be 7-14, to 17-0 in the first quarter. And then it might change the Browns game for the Browns offense to work correctly. They got to be able to run the football a lot. That's with two elite running backs in Kareem Hunt, hate to say it, and Nick Chubb, right? Where, okay, if you can get the run game early, then all of a sudden the play action works. You can get the ball to these talented receivers. Um, That needs to happen. If the Browns are down by two, three scores because the offensive line looks good early for the Chiefs, and we saw what we saw in the final preseason game with Patrick Mahomes and a deep ball to Tyreek Hill, Uh, for example, and a touchdown quick, I think making the Browns one-dimensional could get this game out of hand. And so that's the key that for me, the number one key of the game, offensive line the chief of the Chiefs versus the defensive line, the front seven of the Cleveland Browns. But you know, I think that was what was going on last year. And we somehow got away with it, despite all the injuries, which says a lot about the chief the depth the Chiefs had on the offensive line last year. Only it, they it, pulled it, it off. It seems like it was an until, isolated one game problem because right. the entire world watches that one game right. in the right. Super Bowl. Right. But you're right. That idea of Mahomes drifting, I think about, I'm just remembering because the Dolphins field is just, it, you can just remember what that game looks like. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was having to run around in that game, right? And that was mm-hmm. late in yeah. the season. There were a couple weeks left. And so this has been a problem for a while. Now, as Patrick Mahomes, I think, gets that confidence back in his pocket, it's only going to make him better. And Patrick yeah. Mahomes being somehow being better is a very, very, very dangerous proposition right. for the rest of the National Football League. Yeah, and and what you're talking about here is something that's going to be a factor in every game the Chiefs play this year, specifically against the Browns, because it's the first game and they have a, a, a very high-quality defensive line. So we're going to be paying close attention to this particular game. But I think what the Chiefs realized last year is, you know, we spent all this time and effort getting these receivers, these weapons that Patrick Mahomes can use. But the offensive line is a weapon, too, you know, because they have the ability to make Mahomes effective or ineffective. And I think the Chiefs finally figured that out uh, in front of a national audience of an international audience of, you know, 500 million people or whoever it was, however many it was, was watching the Super Bowl. That's a bad place to make that, that to learn that lesson. But I think they did. And they've responded to it in the off season, I think in the appropriate way, that game in general was not fun for any fan of the NFL to watch, right? You never, you never yeah. want to be in the stinky Super Bowl. 
and the, and especially <laughs> the team that loses. And it's not even a game at all. And that's exactly what happened last year. The all stinky right. bowl. There's another thing we've thought up today on the editor's show. We're, the stinky we're, bowl. We're very similar to Lamar Hunt in coming up with that. Okay. <laughs> My other offensive question that I have in, in, in entering this game is, will we see Clyde Edwards, Alaire, and McCole Hardman actually step up in elevated roles? We know what Clyde can do. Had a great season last year with production in the 13 games, 1,100 uh, scrimmage yards. Now he's supposed to have a boosted role in the past game. Uh, we'll see. We, we thought that this would be the case when he was drafted. Now he didn't have the offseason that a typical rookie has. I think that impacted that. It seems like he has a better understanding of the Andy Reid playbook at this point. Will we see him step up into what will be an elevated role? And then you're thinking about a third or fourth option, Clyde McColl, maybe 1A, 1B in that sense. Will McColl Hardman take the next step and actually uh, perform and be reliable for the Chiefs? We saw glimpses of that at, at training camp, more in practice than in the actual preseason games, which gives you, I think, a little bit of pause. But here it is. I mean, everybody knows that these two guys are expected to take the next step. My question is, will they? Yeah, uh, and, and I actually have essentially the same question on my list uh, for my second offensive question is the running game. Um, and I, to me, um, you know, all the talk has been about Edwards Hilaire improving his receiving game um, from Patrick Mahomes. But I wonder, to me, it's been kind of a different question. Uh, you know, how much is he going to improve as a runner with a right. better offensive line in front yep. of him? And it may not be necessary for him to uh, step forward with receiving yards. And this could be a piece of the four tight ends question as well. You know, uh, you can improve your running game by having lots of one-two personnel as well. Uh, not, you know, it's not just the one-four personnel where it's all exciting because there's four tight ends on the field. But I mean, the one-two personnel can uh, can extend your running game quite a bit. You know, when you still got Kelsey on the field. You know, they got to pay attention to him. And then you've got another blocking tight end uh, on the other side of the line. You know, you can you can open up some holes and do some things. So I think that's part of what what is a question for me is not only uh, will the running game be better, will the production from the running backs be better, but in what way will it be better? I uh, love, is it going to be receiving I, or more running? I love this idea. I love the idea of the Chiefs getting a little bit more run friendly, yeah. especially oh, yeah. early in games. And yeah. sometimes if the game dictates that, because we do occasionally see times when you feel like uh, they're trying to force the passing game too much. Mm -hmm. Edwards Lair is five, seven and 208 pounds. And he is a beast. I, I understand he's smaller for what would be a typical running back that stands to have success in the NFL. But I think there were times last year where you just saw glimpses. If he would get a little bit of room, yeah. space, mm -hmm. God, yeah. what he could possibly do, especially in that week one game. It just mm -hmm. was. And we thought that that would be a sign of things to come. And then you did have problems with the offensive line, starting with Mitch Schwartz. And as the year, year went on, it, it was more and more issues. And now you have these bigger athletic offensive linemen who should be giving Clyde Edwards-Alaire more space. And that should lead to more rushing yards, right? And more rushing yards should lead to more passing yards, not only for him and the rest of the offense, because all of a sudden, if Clyde is doing damage, you, you have to, in a sense, stack the box and maybe a one on one with Tyree Kill. Maybe you're one on one with Travis Kelsey or even McCole Hardman. That's where this offense is really going to click. And that's why I think we see a return to some of the early days of the Mahomes era with Kareem Hunt and just no answer because there are just too many questions for the defense to address. Well, I also think that this is, to me, this is something that really bugs me, is that a lot of fans think that Andy Reid takes his foot off the gas in the second half when he has a lead. And I don't think he does that. I think what he does is he says, okay, we've got the lead. Let's run the ball. And up to this point, running the ball hasn't been a thing the Chiefs were very good at. When everybody and their brother knew the Chiefs were going to run the ball, they couldn't do it effectively. They couldn't impose their will on other teams. And I think that with this offensive line, they might be able to do that. And by the end of the season, people are going to, are going to say, Oh, look, Andy Reid didn't take his foot off the gas. No, he never did. It's just that now when he does what he should do, when he has the lead, which is run the football, uh, then they can do it more effectively. 
Shout out to Mike Frazier, the statistical analysis coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. He wears glasses like you and me and holds a clipboard. <laughs> it's better to run the game when you have a two-touchdown lead in, oh, yeah. in the second half. I mean, yeah. it might be the most obvious thing that we say uh, on the podcast uh, today. And I, I think, and I hate to bring this game up, I think there was a lesson learned in that Colts loss to where Andrew Luck probably in the the greatest game of his career was able to rally back and come back. Uh, Absolutely. In that sense, uh, you know, you you learn a lesson. Even the head coach of Andy Reid's caliber, future Hall of Famer, can learn from that game where if you would have just knelt on the ball, you probably would have been a better scenario than you were. And they that idea to me of the Chiefs taking their foot off the gas is bananas because and I'll I'll just give you an example. How many times have we seen the Chiefs up 17 to 24 points in the fourth quarter and number 15's running back out there, right? Like, why? Why is because they're not taking their foot off the gas? It can't yeah, be both. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Like it cannot be both. All right, right. Let's go to the defense. John, I'll let you get your first crack here. Um, well, again, we've talked about it. Uh, we've touched on it earlier in the show. Juan Thornhill. What's going on with Juan Thornhill? This is a big question mark to me. Uh, is he going to get uh more playing time? And uh, if he does, what is that playing time going to look like? And at what point does he uh, take some of the the snaps away from Daniel Sorensen? You know, look, I love Daniel Sorensen. I love the guy's attitude. I love the way he plays. Um, I, I understand why people are frustrated with him because he's not the fastest, most, most athletic player on the field. He is one of the smartest. And his intelligence has saved the Chiefs' butt more than once, uh, most specifically in that uh, that uh, playoff game uh, when he caught uh, nosed out that fake punt. Without that play, I'm not sure that game comes out the way it does. You know, he changed the momentum of that game single-handedly and why you started calling him Division Dan because th- that's <laughs> what he does. He steps up in those kinds of moments. But I can't, I can't argue with anybody who says he's not the greatest guy in coverage he's not the most athletic and you know he's divisional dan john because the two best games of his career have been the divisional round games yeah with the with the the two most memorable plays of his career have been the punt fake punt sniff out against Mm -hmm. the houston texans and then the hit toward the end of the half to save a touchdown for the worst rule in football of the touchback Right, that the right. Chiefs ended up getting. Those are the two biggest plays in recent memory, and maybe of his career. And so, forget Dirty Dan. Who? Let's actually say this here. There have been some dirty moments from Dan. Like, <laughs> is he a dirty player? Is he finally? Is, is it one of those cases where you nickname someone something, and then he lives up to the nickname instead of the other way? But no, div- <laughs> divisional, divisional Dan. That's why. Yeah, and and you know, so all of that said, I'd like to see what Juan Thornkill can do. Can he move? Sorensen out of that role, take some playing time away from him and give us the kinds of plays that we saw in his rookie season. That's, that's to me a big thing in the defense as, uh, as the season gets underway. I think one of the more obvious questions about this game is how will the chiefs defense fare without Willie Gay? We mm-hmm. know that he is on injured reserve. Um, we know he is on injured reserve. So he's out for the first three weeks of the season. And so, okay. I understand where there can be some concern, and I too, I, I know for a fact that the Chiefs' defense would be better with him on the field. I had said mm-hmm, in the beginning sure. days of training camp, this is the Chiefs' best defensive player. That included Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew up at training camp, and I understand training camp is before the games and whatnot. But he was looking so good, ball hawk, intense, speedy, mm-hmm. getting to these guys, and so just a shame. I don't know about some of the panic level we've been seeing. It's not been crazy, but there's been a little bit of that because Mm -hmm. in my mind, the chiefs essentially played without Willie Gay last year. It was Mm -hmm. such a red shirt learning year, injury filled for gay in 2020. And yet the team was still able to win 14 regular season games. Now, Damian Wilson is no longer on this team. That'll be a loss as well that you have to factor in. It's going to be Ben Neiman and, and Anthony Hitchens in base. It seems, but I think Nick Bolton, as a little bit more ready than gay ever was. And so I don't, I don't know. I think if you get another injury in the linebacker room and then all of a sudden, maybe you're needing Darius Harris and Dorian O'Daniel who never plays defense to play some defensive snaps, then I'm a little bit worried. But I think as long as you can stay healthy there 
in this game and for the next three weeks, I think you're okay, especially with how dominant we think the defensive line is going to be. Well, Andy Reid said yesterday that uh, Michael Burton Bolton has earned the opportunity to get some snaps, and he's probably going to get some snaps. Uh, if, uh, well, obviously Willie Gay will be out for this game. So he's going to get an opportunity to get some snaps. And I think that would be very interesting to see what he can do in that moment. And, uh, so, uh, that to me is going to be a big thing in this game is what we see from Nick Bolton, uh, to, 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 to tag along with what you're saying about Willie Gay, because that's part forget, of how they'll get by without him. The Chiefs use second round capital on Nick Bolton. That mm-hmm. tells you that they realize that depth was an issue and sure. they're going to take the most NFL ready linebacker they can in that spot. And they think that Bolton has the potential to play like a starter in week one. And, and we'll see if he's able to do that. Any other defensive questions from you, John? Well, again, something we touched on earlier, and this to me is the most interesting question on the defense of the off season is exactly how do they use Chris Jones? Yep. Um, you know, Spagnuolo's made it very clear that uh, he's going to be playing a, a lot of defensive end, but he's also going to be shifting to the inside and uh, and playing in his traditional role. And uh, how well does he do as a as an end when Jaron Reed is the is the big guy on the inside alongside Derek Naughty? Um, you know, those are interesting questions. Is this going to be something that we see week in and week out, or is it going to be focused on individual teams, um, and in individual matchups like Spagnolo has hinted a couple of times, uh, and we'll start to start to see those answers, uh, when they play on Sunday, uh, in Arrowhead stadium. Yeah, that actually was my final defensive question yeah. too, as the eyes are going to be on the offensive line. When you get to the other side of the football, it's just watching Chris Jones. This is yeah. going to be a game where even if you're a casual fan and typically you're just watching the quarterback and watching him throw down the field and watch what number 95 is doing. Take your eyes off the ball when the Chiefs are on defense. Let's see how he does uh, against the Browns offensive line uh, as he's moving about with these positions. I just think it's such a chess piece. We talked about chess pieces on this Chiefs team. The Chiefs have a lot of them now. When you think about mm-hmm. Chris Jones yeah. moving about, Mike Dana does a little bit of that. You also have Tyron Matthew, who plays everywhere. We'll see if he's available for this game. Again, trending that way, uh, but remains to be seen if he he takes the field. Daniel Sorensen, to an extent, is that Anthony Hitchens knows each and every linebacker position. He made a point of it to make sure that he knew all the linebacker positions this offseason. So the Chiefs just have a lot of different looks that they can give people. Jerry Sneed is another one. But it starts with Chris Jones moving about the line. And if you're picking over or under one and a half sacks. Hey, I'm predicting that he breaks the sack record. So I'm over one and a half for game one. Well, you know, you just touched on this and I think that's a really good point about Mike Dana. He's talked about how they used him in a, in a kind of a dual role at Michigan as well. He's got some, he's got some, some background and being a guy who plays all over the line. And when you've got a couple of guys that you can move around like that, um, you know, you can do pretty much anything you want. To me, this is this is the kind of thing that Spagnolo loves, is throwing these multiple looks that are completely unpredictable at opposing offenses. And and I think he's just going to be having the ball, having a ball with these chess pieces. He's like Andy Reid a lot in that sense mm-hmm. on yeah. the defensive side, variety and different looks and just unpredictability. That is the bread and butter of the Chiefs' coaching, and I think that's what you see on a week by week basis. That right there wraps up our arrowhead pride editors show want to talk to you quickly about the arrowhead pride podcast network we ended up changing some things for the regular season so we made a trade out of structure now goes and takes your mailbag questions and they'll answer them on monday you heard the first ap out of structure on monday yesterday coming up tomorrow it's the return of the arrowhead drive to get your morning started that'll be happening monday wednesday friday all season long. Then it's the great British Chiefs show as Tom tries to explain his power rankings and the boys have fun <laughs> as we get the week started and the practice availability and stuff from the podium, of course, will be coming to you. AP interview series on Thursdays and then show and DK will have the game preview each and every week, followed by our postgame show. Our four home games, at least to start, we're going to go with Steven Serta and Rocky Magana, and I'm going to try to join from Arrowhead Stadium. So a lot to look forward to right here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Please if you would give us a rating and a review for my deputy editor, John Dixon, I'm Pete Sweeney. Thank you for joining us on today's Arrowhead Pride Editors Show.
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.